Hi everyone, this is Herb Montgomery. I just wanted to give you a quick note before we begin this week. Uh, I'm actually in Seattle, and the recording quality this week is horrible for the podcast. So I am begging your pardon before we even begin, and I will be back home next week where hopefully the recording will be easier to look to, to listen to. Uh, the uh, information is still well worth, I think, this week giving it a listen. But uh, uh, please forgive me for where, where it will require a little extra effort this week. All right. I hope this finds each one of you doing well, and I will check in with you again next week. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. This is episode 190 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, and our title this week is Looting a Strong Person. Our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q 11, 21 through 22. A strong person's house cannot be looted, but if someone still stronger overpowers him, he does get looted. Matthew 12, 29 is our first companion text. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? Luke 11, 21 through 22, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Gospel of Thomas is also one of our uh, companion texts. Gospel of Thomas 35, 1-2. Jesus says it is not possible for someone to enter the house of a strong person and take it by force unless he binds his hands. Then he will loot his house. In this week's saying, Jesus uh, represents himself as the one looting another's house rather than as the uh, well-armed homeowner protecting what is theirs. And Adolf Deisman wrote in his, it was a groundbreaking volume for its time in the early uh, 20th century, early 1900s, the book Light from the Ancient East. He wrote, by its social structure, primitive Christianity points unequivocally to the lower and middle class. Its connections with the upper class are very scanty at the outset. Jesus of Nazareth was a carpenter. Paul of Tarsus was a weaver of tent cloth. And St. Paul's words about the origin of his churches in the lower classes of the great towns forms one of the most important testimonies, historically speaking, that primitive Christianity gives of itself. Primitive Christianity is another instance of the truth taught us each with each return of the springtime that sap rises upward from below. Primitive Christianity stood to the upper class in natural opposition, not so much because it was Christianity, but because it was a movement of the lower classes. In Deisman's uh, volume, uh, New Light on the New Testament from the Records of the Greco-Roman Period, this is page 7, he stated that even uh, even more pointedly that primitive Christianity was not Christianity as we know it today, but, quote-unquote, a movement of the proletarian lower class. And Jesus' listeners they would have been more inclined to identify with those scratching out a desperate existence in an exploitative economic system that that produced haves and have-nots. Few would have listened to Jesus from the societal location of of homeowners protecting their possessions from others. This saying uses imagery uh, that the lower and possibly the lowest social classes would have been familiar with because of their economic vulnerability. So this saying is, is also in the context of last week's saying, too. We have to remember that. The writers of Sayings Gospel Q claim that even though Jesus' uh, these people's oppressors are strong, 
they can be they can be overcome by one stronger. And in the context of a of a Jewish apocalyptic worldview, uh, and again, you'd have to go back to last week's saying to to get the context of that. Uh, this saying would have been heard as a yes, your earthly and cosmic oppressors are indeed strong. Yet the mission and activity of Jesus and our community that are being informed by that Jesus is stronger. Our messianic hope for liberation that it can overcome our oppressors. The the documentary, A a Force More Powerful, is something I want to recommend this week as well. It explores popular 20th century nonviolent movements. And these movements stood up against entrenched regimes and and, and military forces with unconventional weapons like boycotts, strikes, demonstrations, and acts of civil resistance. And they helped to subvert the operations of of government through direct intervention in the form of sit-ins, nonviolent sabotage, blockades, and they, they frustrated the efforts of those in power to suppress people. So in last February, in the article, our e-site entitled Renouncing One's Rights, we saw how Jesus taught these very same principles of nonviolent resistance. We found in the Gospels of a, a Jesus who, who warned oppressed people not to retaliate with the same type of force used against them. Jesus' first audience, they didn't have the access to militaristic power in a way comparable to Rome. And to try to, to, to use violence against their oppressors would only invite the Roman annihilation. And the history, I think, of, of uh, Roman and Jewish relations between 66 to 70 CE bears this out. So nevertheless, Jesus cast a vision for his oppressed listeners of a way in which the strong man in their lives, their oppressors, could be overpowered. And the people were actually stronger than those who dominated them. And Jesus offered three examples of how uh, they could be stronger. And one was through nonviolent resistance, the second was nonviolent direct action, and the third was nonviolent non-cooperation. And you find all three of these in Matthew 5, 38 through 41, and you can cross-reference that with the above article to get a, a more fuller exposition of those in that context. But to be clear, dominated and subjugated people typically don't have access to the material power of their subjugators. But as history witnesses, those same people are very much more powerful than their oppressors in another way, when they choose to change the rules of the game. So in the spirit of these imaginative means, Jesus sought to inspire nonviolent resistance, disruption, non-cooperation, and action in his followers. And, and, and those who, despite appearances, uh, also had the power to promote societal change. So in my region of the U.S., and that's in Appalachia, and just a little south of me, white male heterosexual Jesus followers, like myself, uh, we find ourselves in a very different societal location uh, than the people that Jesus spoke to. Rather than being the ones within a society who would have been more prone to be breaking into homes, we find ourselves uh, as the ones protecting our homes and our possessions at any cost. And this is the demographic that always, without fail, comes up to me at the end of a presentation that I've given on Jesus' teachings on nonviolence and says, if someone's breaking into my home, I'll shoot them. And these conversations, not only are they tiring, but they often remind me of the story of the of the pastor of a church I visited about five years ago in Rochester, Minnesota. The Worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church is typically listed as a peace church because of their traditional teachings on violence, combat, and force. 
But four years ago, uh, the pastor of the local Seventh-day Adventist church in Rochester, he mistook his granddaughter for an intruder trying to break into his home, and he shot her. And you can read the entire story in in, uh, the article by the Star Tribune where the pastor actually agreed to be interviewed because he himself said um, he wanted his story to be used as a caution to others who might find themselves in a similar situation. And he told the paper, uh, he said, I had a plan, but I didn't follow the plan. I thought somebody was breaking into my house and it just scared us to death. So fear took over and instead of viewing the intruder as a child of God, he ended up shooting his own granddaughter. And it's a horrific story. Um, but in the Tribune's article with, with uh, the pastor's statement, uh, it closes with, with, with his words uh, that he would not want anybody to ever have this horrible, horrible experience. And remarkably, this happens more than you'd imagine. I'm going to put some links to, to not just the, the, the article in the Star Tribune, but also some other articles that I want you to read this week. Statistically, adding another lethal weapon to an already violent situation doesn't mean you become safer. Studies show that the notion that a, that a good guy with a gun will stop a bad guy with a gun is really a romanticized vision of the nature of violent crime. Jesus' words in Matthew that those who live by a sword will die by a sword don't just apply to individuals. Uh, They also apply to societies as well. And in societies with an economic structure that produces haves and have-nots, Jesus calls those who have, uh, that have more than they need, to to plan uh, a plan of not hoarding and protecting, but rather a plan of sharing and, and choosing to take care of those who aren't having their needs being met and being faced with desperation due to their lack. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who rather than share his surplus, and I'll put a link to to this story in Luke 12, he chooses to to build a, a bigger, more efficient means of hoarding it. And after teaching that this man was a fool because his life ended that same night, Jesus goes on to define being rich toward God as selling one's possessions and giving the surplus to those whose daily needs are not being met. Remember, each one of us bear the image of God uh, in the Jesus story. And uh, uh, the closest I'll ever come to God, if that be true, the closest I'll ever come to God in this life, the closest I'll ever come to the divine, is actually in you, uh, my fellow uh, God image bearer. And, And so being rich towards God really means me being rich towards you and investing my surplus in you and where my, my heart is, there will my treasure be also to place those locations in you. And we who live in America today live in a society that's shaped by independence, individualism, and, and self-reliance. And the Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels taught that the solution to the, to the challenge of his own day, uh, were, those solutions were to be found in, in, in the opposite of these norms. Uh, so, so in short, Jesus' solution to, the, to these problems It was community. Much of what he taught doesn't even make sense outside of community. And trying to follow Jesus' teachings on one's own without a community in which to apply those teachings, I think is like trying to build a house without building materials or maybe trying to follow a recipe uh, in a cookbook without having the necessary ingredients to combine. In the story in Luke, the one that I'm referencing this week, Jesus calls the wealthy who trust in their wealth to insulate them from the future he, he calls those wealthy um, to, 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 to let go of their worry about the future, what the future might bring, and instead to use their resources to create strong community instead. Jesus' solutions is not necessarily for us to have wealth, but it's definitely for us to have each other. 
And as long as we have each other, we can survive whatever the future may bring because we're in this together and we've got each other's back. And Jesus, Jesus finishes up this story with a statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he isn't contrasting heaven and earth here. Uh, he's not saying put, place your heart in heaven. Rather, Jesus is contrasting people investing in community with instead uh, isolated people individualistically investing in themselves and solving the problem of the future for themselves at the expense of others around them. So, so, so Jesus seems to be clear. Either we're all taken care of or none of us will be. And the man in the story who sought to take care of only himself, he still lost all that he had because he, he couldn't keep it when he died. And so when we add the Luke 12 story to our saying this week, two things come to the surface despite our societal conditioning. First, those who seek to protect their own possessions with strength of arms, they can still be overpowered. And, and, and that doesn't give you any guarantee. And from Jesus' teachings elsewhere, we also see that Jesus did not encourage meeting violence with violence or physical force with physical force. Jesus instead taught that the way to overpower one's enemy was through another form of, of direct action. It's what Gandhi and Martin Luther King and, and others, I'll put, you, put a link to some others in the, uh, the, 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 the East site, they've referred to as soul force. It's a force more powerful. Uh, and second, those who take the path of hoarding and protecting, they assume a future that looks very differently from the reality of what will happen. They imagine themselves leaning back, enjoying the benefits of what they've amassed and protected, but instead they end up losing their lives. So what's our take home this week? Jesus challenges those on the underside of society to believe in, in the power of nonviolent resistance and disturbance, uh, nonviolent protest and direct action and non-cooperation. And he calls on people like those who come up to me defensively after my presentations on nonviolence to place people above property, people above possessions, people above profit, people above power. And depending on your location in our current class of societal structure, this week's saying might be a promise that offers hope, uh, that there are means whereby which strong can be overpowered, or a warning that your efforts to protect uh, your things are ultimately futile and possibly even lethal. Uh, so again, Sayings Gospel Q, 11, 21 through 22, a strong, person house, a strong person's house cannot be looted, but if someone stronger overpowers him, he does get looted. Heart group application this week. This week I want you as a group, as a heart group, to sit down and watch Richard Wilkinson's 2011 TED Talk, How Economic Inequality Harms Societies. And I want you to notice the relation of crime to wealth inequality. There's a connection between the two. The more wealth is shared, and think of Jesus' story above in Luke 12, the less crime, think home invasions, uh, occur. And could it be this, that the solution to violent crime is not bigger guns, but the embrace of our natural communal interdependence with one another? Jesus' teachings do call us uh, to stop individual, individualistically uh, resisting interdependent, our interdependence, our natural interdependence. And, and there is an intrinsic relationship of cause and effect, whether the inequality is rooted in disparities based on gender, class, race, orientation, gender identity, age, ability, whatever. History bears out that the fruit of inequality is not security, uh, not security for the future especially, but greater, greater vulnerability and risk 
uh, for all of us. So number two, after watching the TED Talk, discuss with your heart group what implications you see for your group and brainstorm ways to, to lean into Jesus' teachings, even if your first steps are small. And then number three, pick one of those ways you just discussed and begin putting it into practice. And this week's saying, Jesus comes offering a way that is more holistic. Uh, that has the potential to overpower how we in the West typically operate. And wherever this saying finds you this week, may it bring hope uh, or may it bring challenge and maybe may it bring both. But keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. Remember, I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and Remember, every little bit helps. And and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns.